coming this morning. We're wrapping up uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You can turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We'll be picking it up in uh, verse 8 and continuing on from there. But we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, which has been uh, an excellent book for us uh, to go through during this time, specifically for our church. And in part, it is because many of us have hopes in many other things other than the true and the living God. I have hopes in other things other than the true and the living God. And Ecclesiastes essentially says this, that if you've placed your hopes, if you've placed the meaning in your life on anything other than the true and living God, your life and my life is meaningless as a result when we do that. It is meaningless. And he continually says this throughout the book from the beginning. He talks first about how wisdom is meaningless. He says in chapter 1 verse 14, I have seen, seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. He's talking about wisdom, verse 17. And then in chapter 2, he talks about pleasure. He says, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He talks about living wisely. And he says, Then I said in my heart, chapter 2, verse 15, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. Verse 17 says, So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. He goes on to verse 21 and he talks about work in chapter 2 and he says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. Goes through every portion of our life. And he says, life under the sun. Like, let's just talk here for a minute as though there is no God. Let's just talk about like this life is all that there is for a moment. And let's just talk about that. And he, and he says, listen, if this is all there is, it's absolutely meaningless. Because sometimes when you work all of your life, somebody else gets your riches and then they get to not work. And that's meaningless. And he goes through all of these pleasures and he says, I've done everything that there is to do. He's had every kind of party. He's built every kind of building. He's created gardens and forests and all of these things. And he says, it is meaningless. It is meaningless. And I want to ask you this morning, where are you getting meaning in your life? We started out the book of Ecclesiastes by saying this, like, where, where are you deriving your meaning from? Where are you getting it from? 
Because Solomon has lived more than any of us. Because he had all of this money and every ability to experience everything that he wanted to. And he was the wisest man to have ever have lived. And he had more women than he knew what to do with. And yet he got to the end of all those things and he found out that it is meaningless. Life under the sun, life without God is meaningless. So where do you get your meaning? Where do you find your meaning? Because Christian people can still try and find their meaning in lots of other things. You can try to find your meaning still in your business and in your work. You can try to find it within the context of your marriage. You can try to find meaning in the context of your relationships. In your status, in the people that you know, in the places that you live, in the things that you drive. And it will ultimately show itself in despair when either you get what you want and it doesn't give you the meaning that you thought you should have had. Or you don't get what you want and you think it's just, it's fruitless. I, I just, I can't seem to get there. It's meaningless. How do we have meaning? How do we have meaning in life? Where do you get your meaning from? Or do you have any meaning in your life. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I don't have meaning. I don't have hope. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with my life. I'm not sure what's happening. And Solomon is saying this. He's saying, yes, that's exactly right. It's vanity. Everything's vanity. It's meaningless. The word that he uses there is a word that essentially means a breath or a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's gone in moments, really. It's like the steam that's coming up off of a, a, a boiling pot. And you try to grab it and it's gone. You can't get it. You can't, you can't get that in your hands. He says, this is what life is like under the sun. But if you understand something, then you have the key to life. Do you know what the key to life is? You know what the key is? I'm not gonna tell you yet. I give away the end of the sermon, right? <laughs> What's the, what's the key to your life? What, what's, what's the thing that you hope for the most? Or that you, you fear the most? What's the key to your life right now? I can tell you this, that it, if it's not what this is going to talk about here in a minute, your life is broken. Your life is broken because of this. It's like taking a shovel and using it as a spoon. Like, this doesn't work. I mean, can you imagine? A little thing of pudding here. Just gonna, just gonna take a bite. You're using it wrong. You're using it wrong. You're taking your life and you're saying, I'm gonna go after all of these things in my life. Or maybe it's, a, it's even a good thing, it might be your family. And essentially, you're taking a shovel and using it as a spoon. It's like me when I was a kid. And I had a 1972 Ford pickup that was totaled, but it was a 1972 Ford pickup, so totaled is not very totaled. I mean, it, was, it would still run. So I had this thing, it had a 400 in it. It was uh, quite fast, but it was only two-wheel drive. And me and my friends, we were kind of, but of course, I had a 1972 two-wheel drive Ford pickup. And so uh, my dad had given me a brand new set of snow chains. And he said, Matt, these are only for when we go hunting and if we get stuck in the snow. That is the only time that you're to use these because we're planning on returning them. Anyway, I'm out with my friends. It's probably midnight 
And we go up in the hills, and at this point, we probably were going to be vandalizing somewhere. I won't tell you where it was. It might even be your backyard. I'm not sure. But uh, we decided that we wanted to go out and go uh, four-wheeling, but I was only two-wheeling, right? And so I, I had a problem, so I got this great idea. I know my dad said not to use those tire chains, but uh, you know what? I, if they work in snow, they got to work in mud too, right? So I put these snow chains on, and never mind reading the directions like stay under 45 miles an hour, go, go very slow, don't spin your tires, those types of things. And I went rip-roaring up the side of this hill, and we just had an absolute blast until I got way far back up this trail, and we are just blazing a trail, and then all of a sudden, everything came to a screeching halt because I was using them wrong. And those chains got wrapped around my axle all the way and broke like a, you know, a, a brake line and all of that fun stuff. Our lives are like that many, in many cases. We're using it wrong. And as a result, we don't have meaning in life. It's because we're trying to find meaning on our own. And really, it's, life is just going to end up broken for us. Our lives just end up broken. And the assertion of uh, the Christian scriptures, the assertion of this Bible, is that meaning comes from the true and living God. It comes from the true and the living God. I want to take you to chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 8. He's going to reiterate what he said. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Everything is steam. It's smoke. It's meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's what he comes down to. And what he's done here is he's done what's called an inclusio. Because he started the book with saying everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. He started and ended in the same place. And he said he's bringing it back to the beginning. Everything is meaningless. And so he says this, besides being wise... The preacher, he's speaking in third person here, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And so what, he, what he's saying here is some people think it's another person speaking. I think it's the same person. It's, uh, it's Solomon in, in my view. But he says, uh, besides being wise, this preacher also taught the people knowledge. He's weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. The book of Proverbs, much of it comes from him. He's weighing and studying and he's looking at all of these, all of this wisdom. And he, and he's, and he's, and he wants us to see what's going on. And he's done it with great care. It wasn't just like, here's a collection of all of his sayings. Like if you go online and you try to find great quotes from so-and-so, Abraham Lincoln... You'll go on, you'll see a bunch of random quotes. This isn't, you know, an internet search. This is Solomon saying these things in an order that he believes we need to hear. And he's, and he's studying them and he's arranging them with great care. And then verse 10 says, The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. He wanted to find the best way to say something. He wanted to find the best way to say a particular saying. He wanted you and I to be able to see this with clarity, what's actually going on here. He wanted you and I to be able to know what it is that we needed to hear from the scriptures. And he's, he's trying to find these words of delight. 
He wants us to delight in these words. But too often, our problem is, is that we don't delight in the words of God. We're put off by them. Too often, we're people who refuse to hear. We're, too often, we're people who are the fool from Scripture who say, I, I just, I don't even care to hear all of this wisdom. I'll just keep going. I'll keep going. You know, I'll just, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll go on to something else. But he says, I've arranged these so that you would delight in them. And there's this consistency. He's uprightly with great character. He's written these words of truth. So he's saying that these are words of truth. The question is, do you believe them as truth? Do you believe that the word of God is truth? Is it something that penetrates your heart and says that this is true? It's true about me. Go to the next verse here. He says, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Now, what's he saying there? He's, he's saying this, the words of the wise, what's he prepping us for? He's, he's saying this, he's saying, I've written these things, I, I've taken great care, I, I want you to delight in them, I've spoken them with great character, they are truth, these are the words of the wise, and they are like goats. If you know what a goat is, anybody got a goat? A goat is a cattle prod, it's a stick with a, a pointy end. And yes, we're being called animals here a little bit. But he says the words of the wise, they prod us. And they keep us in line. They keep us on track. And they're, they're, they're directing us. And, and these words do more than just kind of direct us, but it's like a nail that's firmly fixed. That when you hear the words of the wise, and you see that these things are firmly fixed, and you understand, and you, you hear it, and it penetrates your heart. Something's going to happen to you. Something's going to take place. It's, it, it's like it's a firmly fixed principle in your life that says, this is true about God, or this is true about my life, or this is true about who I am. But too often the thing that we do is that we're not really in the word, and so we're not being goaded, being prodded towards understanding. But we resent what God says. We don't hang on to those things like they're a nail firmly fixed. Like, is there anything nailed down in life? Is there anything that's nailed down? Is there anything that's absolutely sure? And he's saying there, there are some things that are absolutely sure and he says that they are given by one shepherd. Now, that's the first time that he uses the word shepherd, so he's never referred to himself as a shepherd. But a sh the shepherd in the Old Testament scriptures, when it refers to that in that context, it's talking about God himself. Now, I want to tell you that I think this is an amazing claim. Amazing because it's like, whoa, this guy is claiming that his words are coming from the one shepherd. It's coming from God himself. 
And th these are not just kind of marginal sayings. You know, you can kind of obey them or you can kind of go after them. No, these are from God. They're, they're completely truthful. They're inerrant. They're without error. They're completely true. They're absolutely trustworthy. And that's what we believe about the scriptures. And that's what he's saying here. But he's talking about the one shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Look at this. Your rod. That's the cattle prop. That's the goad. And your staff. They comfort me. The person who has wisdom is looking for this great shepherd. This good shepherd. To prod him or her. To lead them. To lead them in life. And not to use snow chains for four-wheeling. And not to use a shovel for a spoon. It's looking to him and saying, you are the shepherd and I want to hear from you. Otherwise, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when you look at God and you think about who he is, oftentimes what our culture has projected is that somehow God wants to keep you from all of the fun. That somehow God isn't the one who's leading you beside still waters and who's leading you to green grass and who's leading you to this incredible table and he's anointing your head with oil, a symbol of care. He's caring for you. He's loving you. Do you see the care of the one shepherd in bringing these scriptures to you? Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. Jesus personifies God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And he comes and he is the good shepherd. When you read the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, what you see is you see a shepherd who is shepherding his people. And he's speaking to them and, and he's loving them and he's healing them and he's caring for them. This is the embodiment of God. He is God. And he's showing us that he is the good shepherd, the one shepherd who's leading us. And are you listening to his words or are you using shovel for a spoon? What are, you, what are you using in life? Where are you trying to find your meaning? Because the truth only comes through this good one shepherd. And then he says in verse 12, he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
Now, what's he saying? Some people would say, oh, there they go again, those Christians. Yeah, trying to tell people not to read, read any other books. Don't read anything else. No, I'd say uh, understand culture, understand things. But in, when it comes to matters of your life, when it comes to really understanding what life is like, you can read a million different books. There's about a million books that are produced every year. And we all know this, that with a million books comes a million opinions about all types of things. And so you could spend your life and you, be, you could become weary. And you could become daunted with trying to seek after meaning in life. And what he's saying here is he's saying, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. There, books will never stop coming. They will never stop. They will always continue to be there. Information will continue to be there. I mean, when you take the internet along with the books in print, I mean, imagine, I mean, it is innumerable, the amount of information that you could possibly try to soak in and try to understand and try to find meaning. But then we do silly things like watch Oprah and think uh, somehow this is going to bring meaning to me. There may be some meaning in there, but it's meaning because it's God's truth. But then you also get all kinds of other, other things that are coming in there. There's going to be a million talk show hosts. There's going to be a million opinions on Facebook today. People will have many opinions about your life and how you should live it. And where you get meaning. And you could read and you could read and you could read. And you could search quotes. And you could come up with quote after quote after quote after quote. The claim, and it's a big claim, is that this is written by one shepherd. And it is through Solomon, through the power of God that he wrote this. And he's leading us in this. That is a huge claim. It's a huge claim. And will you listen and will you understand it or will you continue to go after book after book after book after book? Always kind of surmising, always kind of, you know, having conjecture, you know, just trying, you know, I, I think it's this way or I think it's that way. Will you arrive at a conclusion from a book that claims to be from God himself and speaks to you at the point that you most need it? And I, I want to tell you that many of us don't believe this. Christians and none, people barely in the door, and people have been here for a long time. Many of us don't believe it. We don't believe that these are the words of God. And as a result, we lack meaning in our lives. And we're still searching for meaning in everything else under the sun. Your life is lived under the sun, and it's not under God. Now that may be a, a cattle prod, but I want to tell you something else. It's a nail. It's a nail that you can nail your life to. And you need to understand this. Verse 13. We're down to the last bit here. It's the last couple of lines of his, of his book. And there's been all this pontificating. He's been looking at every avenue of life. 
this is the bottom line. This is it. This, this is what he's going to say to you today. This is God's word for you. It's a nail that's firmly fixed. It comes from God himself. The end of the matter, verse 13. This is it. The end of the matter. All, what's the matter? The life. That, that's the matter that he's talking about. The end. This is the end all. This is everything. This is the bottom line. Everything about your life. Everything comes down to this. Can you believe that? Like we're going to talk about the bottom line of your life and of my life. What's the bottom line? The bottom line is, this is the end of the matter. Everything has been heard. And you can pretend like it hasn't been heard. And you can say, well, I'm just going to keep reading. I'm just going to keep. But he's saying, this is it. Will you believe it? All has been heard. You ready for this? You tired of using the show? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Let's just talk about that real quick. Forget about the fear for just a second. Forget about the commandments piece. Let's just talk about this is the whole duty of man. Now the word duty is not in that text. But the word whole and man come together to imply that this is the duty of man. But what it's saying here is this, is it's saying this is what man is. This is man's purpose. This is all that there is to man. Now just think about that for a second. This is absolutely all that there is to man. Like, what are you about? Well, I'm kind of a hick, and I like to go four-wheeler, and I like, you know, I do this, and I, you know, here's my, my girlfriend and my boyfriend, or what, you know, what, th 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 that's, that's what I'm, no, th what this is saying is, is this, this is what you're about. This is the whole of man. This is all that there is. And what's implied is that this is what man should be doing, but it's saying that this is the only thing that gives meaning to man. That this is it. To fear God and to keep his commandments. To fear God and to keep his commandments. Oh. So that's not very big, right? I mean like, oh, just that? <laughs> okay, I'll do that then. Okay, what's it mean to fear God? Does it mean like I, I'm fearing like personal harm? Does, does it mean that I should fear that, that God's going to hurt me? No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about honoring Him. It's talking about revering Him. It's talking about listening to Him. To fear Him is to listen to Him and to obey Him. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 speaks to this uh, quite aptly here. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans is he's saying this is what a lack of fear looks like. Although they knew God, although they looked at creation, they walked outside and just said, wow, I'm so happy that this spontaneously appeared. 
I'm so happy that, that somehow all of these things have come together, these molecules and these cells and whatever else is involved in uh, science, uh, comes together and creates a, a, a baby just all on its own. Like, it's amazing that that would take place. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Who is He talking about? Me. Me. I'm the fool. Like, why are you preaching then, right? I mean, like, no. Because the definition of a Christian is says, is someone who says, I'm a fool. I claim to be wise, and I dishonor God. And I keep going after stupid things, and I'm, I'm using a, a shovel for a spoon, and I go four-wheeler, and I use snow chains on my Ford truck, and then I, I somehow I think that you know, relationships should happen on my time schedule. And so I go ahead of things and I decide to uh, engage in, in sex with this woman who's not my wife yet, not really realizing that sex before marriage is like taking a shovel and using it as a spoon. You're using it wrong. And it creates brokenness. And it creates families without dads. And it creates single moms oftentimes, not all the time. But it creates single moms and, and, and it creates this hurt. As a woman gives of herself, it, thinking that, that, that hoping that he's going to give fully of himself without this finality and this security in the context of marriage that God designed you for. You're using it wrong. Claiming to be wise, we become fools. We're using it wrong. Every part of our life, as we go through life and as we're interacting with things, it's all governed by one shepherd and he is essentially the one who's over this. And basically what we are doing is we say, I'm dishonoring God and I'm claiming to be wise. And essentially I say, you're the fool, God. You don't know what you're talking about. When I don't listen to his word... And I don't take this wisdom and I say, yes, that's for me. Yes, I need that. I need your rod and your staff. They're like a fresh drink of water. It's like an open pasture. It's like a, an incredible day in Oregon in the midst of everything that's been rain soaked. And then everything comes out. It's like, this is my God. And this is what he's given. No, we don't say that. We say, no. I'm going to claim to be wise. And God, you're the fool. I'm going to dishonor you with my life and everything that I do. That's, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're discussing. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. That's it. But here's, here's the problem. This is just one small problem. Keep his commandments. Okay, I'm going to fear God, and I'm going to try to keep his commandments as best I can. Is that, is that the message of Scripture? The next verse is, is, is very enlightening. And this is really what he ends with. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
fear God and keep His commandments. Okay, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I've got, you know, I, for the most part, I do more good than bad. No, for God will bring every single deed into judgment. Every careless thought. Every look. Every breath you take, every step you take, oh, he's going to be watching you, all right? I mean, can't you see? Uh, yeah. Um, I do this to myself and it just wrecks me. Every single thing. Isn't that kind of a creepy song, though? I mean, I'm going to be watching you, all right? God... Knows all things. He knows all about your private life. He knows all about your public life. He knows every detail of your life. Just this last week, former Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, was brought up on charges by the federal government for having misused his own funds. Perhaps not paying taxes, I don't remember exactly, but he was withdrawing large amounts of money. And the paper that talks about what he's been charged with, if you read it, it basically says that he had been withdrawing money out of his account, and he was taking it, and he was paying individual A and paying them off because of past misconduct. So that immediately starts this firestorm. Now, let me tell you about De Dennis Hastert. Years ago, like the Republican Party was in shambles. You may still think it is, but let's just talk about it right, right now. Back then, they, uh, it was in shambles. There was lots of misdealings, lots of corruption. Um, and so Dennis Hastert was looked to, and everybody looked to him and said, this guy is squeaky clean. He has character. There's nothing wrong in his life. He, I mean, you can't find anything. In fact, there was a Democratic strategist on TV that said this. He said he ran a campaign against him. And, and basically, when you run a campaign against somebody, you are digging for every detail of someone's life. You're trying to find something, some type of leverage to say, aha, they did this. And this Democratic strategist said, we never found anything, even close to any of these things in his life. All of a sudden, federal government is clued into something through a bank transaction. And then it's talking about individual A, and then he lied about it. And it turns out he had some serious misconduct with a teenage boy. You know, with God, we don't get the benefit of covering things up. No amount of money that's going to pay him off. There's nothing. God has fixed a day when he will judge all things. He is the great judge. He's a shepherd, but he's also a judge. But let me tell you this. The only reason why your life has meaning is because he is the great judge. Your life only has meaning if there is a judge. If there is no God in your beginnings, your creation, all of creation, is insignificant. 
And if your ending, the end of your life, is insignificant and you go nowhere, then what you must understand is this, is that the middle of your life is also insignificant. But if there is a real God who created you with a purpose, much like the creator, whoever he or she was, of the shovel, if there really is a God who created you with a specific purpose, and if there really is a God that has moral judgments, and if there really is a God who says that the end of life has meaning, and that at the end of time, that there will be a great judgment. He will judge every deed, everything done in secret, every detail of your life. Then what this means is that your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. You might say, you know, my life has meaning right now. Because I, I, do, I do some good things. I can bring meaning to my culture, to my society. And I would say this, I think those are good things. Yes, those are very good things. Way to go. But let me just tell you this. If your good things have meaning and your bad things have meaning because you've just made a moral judgment. And the moral judgment can be based on nothing else other than what we're all looking up to saying there, there is some kind of morality in the sky somewhere that somehow we're all submitting to. Whereas if there is no judgment, then there's no way to say that this is good and that this is bad. There's no way to say that somebody who's lazy shouldn't get my money. There's no way to say that the righteous should prosper and the evil should die. There's no way to say this because there's no way to make a judgment. Because I started from nothing and I will end with nothing. And many of us do not have the guts to also say this. That if I believe that, then I must also live like my life is nothing. But many of us refuse to do it. Some people succumb to it and end their life. Which is awful, obviously. But let me just tell you this. Your life will only have meaning when you realize this. That there will be a judgment. And he will expose all things, good and evil. He will expose every thought and intention of every piece of every attitude of your life. And what will you do? And what will you do? Because that's not fully a comfort in and of itself. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. Like if you're like me, I, I didn't fear God on the way here probably, right? If you're like me, I mean, I broke a commandment at some point recently, right? And if I'm really honest, I mean, there, God knows my life. So what am I to do about that? If, if, if the meaning in my life and everything that I am, and my existence, it rests on this. Like, this is what God wants from me. Like, this is the bottom line. Everything's been said. He wants me to fear Him, keep His commandments. Oh, and by the way, He's going to judge every detail of my life. Here's the only answer. First John chapter 2, verse 1. 
like a shepherd, John is speaking to the church and he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You'd keep his commandments. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, payment. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What's he saying there? He's saying this, like, listen, here's, here's the thing. I, I, I want to tell you something, like, I, I want you to keep God's commandments. But here's the only thing that, may, that will make any difference in your life. Like, but if you do sin, you have to understand this. And these are the only people who truly fear God. They have an advocate. It's like a courtroom. And I can't defend myself because I'm defenseless. Because I haven't kept the commandments and I haven't feared God in the way that I should. But we have an advocate. And who's the advocate? It's Jesus. Who's like a lawyer. Who says, I'm here on his behalf. I'm here on her behalf. And the great thing about the gospel is this. Is that he's not just the lawyer. But he takes me up out of the judgment seat and he puts himself there and he takes it all on himself. We have an advocate. And what did he do? He goes to the cross. And you might say, it's so, such a far-fetched idea. But let me tell you what's far-fetched. It's somehow believing that your life has meaning without also recognizing that there is a God who's given your life meaning through his judgments. That this will be right and that this will be wrong. That this is the correct way to live life and this is the wrong way to live life. That this is how you should treat your neighbor and this is not how you should treat your neighbor. That is where you get meaning from life and yet you live that way on a daily basis and yet you and I thumb our noses at him and say I'm going to dishonor you and I'm going to honor myself. But Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, he sits in my place for every commandment that I have broken and every thought that I've had, every detail of my life that will be exposed will be covered by Jesus, the advocate. What's the motivation? What's the motivation to do this? Now let me just tell you this. God doesn't sit around and wait for you to fear him. When you fear me enough, that's when I'll, I'll, I'll let you in, all right? I'll let you into our little club. And what God does for you is that he forgives you so that you can fear him. You hear that? God forgives you so that you can fear him? God forgives you in the midst of everything that's going on in your life? In the midst of the dishonor that's happening? Psalm 130. 
Verse 1 through 4. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? Could you say that with the psalmist? The definition of a Christian isn't somebody who stands and says, I've kept all the commandments. You're a jerk, right? If that's, if that's you, that, that's, that's what that is. That's being a jerk. That's, that's not being truthful. That's not obeying the scriptures. That's not honoring God. That's honoring yourself. The person who knows God and who lives for God is somebody who says, out of the depths I cry to you, out of the deepest part of my life, I'm crying to you, O Lord. Out of every faculty and every capacity that I have, I'm crying to you, Lord, and I'm saying this, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark in iniquities, I am ruined. I'm done. I don't have a hope. Verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. God forgives you so that you can fear him. How, why, why would I want to go do anything good for God if he's just going to forgive me? He's forgiven you so that you could fear him. He's forgiven you so that you could fear him. He's, he has lightened your load. He's taken it off. And the only way to do this is to trust the advocate, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he didn't go hoping that you would come to him if you're a Christian today. He went knowing that even in the midst of your worst sin, he was going to forgive you. He saw you in the midst of that situation. He was there. He was witness to it. He heard those words. He heard every action. He read every detail. He knows exactly where you are. And yet, he forgives. Why? Why would he do this? Because he's a good shepherd. Because he's a good shepherd. He leads you beside still waters. And he'll take you to incredible pastures. And he's going to set up this great table. And he's going to dine with you. A dinner that you should have never had. And he's just going to bless you with it. That's what the Christian life is. That's what it is. In a minute, we're going to partake of communion together. We're going to pass it out today. Communion, the Lord's table, is all about experiencing Jesus going to the cross. So this morning, I want to ask you to do something. 
I want to ask you to kind of walk through some questions. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? Just, I just want you to be real focused here for just a moment. Where do I get meaning in life? I want you to ask yourself that right now. Where do I get meaning in life? Do I think I'm giving myself meaning? Am I dishonoring God through this? Am I going after these, these pleasures? Am I thinking that somehow I'm wise? That thinking somehow my hard work is going to give me value? Where do I find meaning? Do I trust the scriptures? Do I trust what they have to say? It doesn't mean that there isn't other wisdom out there. It doesn't mean that good people haven't said good things. But do I trust primarily the scriptures for my source? Do I somehow think that I'm the one who's bringing about my righteousness or am I actually looking to the advocate Jesus Christ? And I say, what's, what's hidden in my life? What's hidden? It's gonna be exposed. It's gonna come to light. going to be there. Have you confessed it? Have you taken it to your advocate? Have you walked through that? Jesus went to the cross for all of us. Confess to Jesus today. Confess that you need him. And then in just a moment, we're going to pass out the elements and I just want you to hang on to them. Just wait until, wait until I come back up here and we'll partake together. If you're a believer, I want to invite you to this. If you want to receive Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to trust him this morning and then partake of the elements with us as well. The, the elements don't save you. They just help you remember what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that we be truthful with ourselves about the realities that are going on in our lives. And there's many people here, all of us to some degree or another, are finding meaning in so many other ways that ultimately will lead to despair, but you're the only one who brings meaning. It comes through your great judgment, and you have made a way for us to make it through that. And so Lord, we, we ask, that those who have forgotten this, who have never confessed you as Lord, who have never said, I trust Jesus Christ from the core of their being, I pray that, they, that you would change them from the inside out, and Lord, that they would fear you. 